I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. And we're still seeing it quite well through that haze. E equals MC. That all men are created About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I am your host, Ryan Treasure. I want to thank everybody for uh, joining the program today. Um, I know all of you guys are out there listening to the radio program and thinking to yourselves, oh, more COVID-19 content, more this, more that. But I think we're going to go a little deeper uh, today and, and talk about a bunch of different things. Uh, we're going to talk about some educational and community strategies uh, as it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic, things that are happening in that space. And of course, you know, some of the disparity that's happening in marginalized uh, populations be, uh, due to those uh, components as well. And we got a couple of great guests for you guys today. Uh, you can find out a lot more information at education and community strategies.com and we're going to talk to Tamisha Sales and Dr. Larry Collier today Uh, and Dr. Larry is a retired school administrator and educator with 37 years of experience that's right 37 years he knows all about the kids Uh, his background includes serving as a senior district level administrator middle school principal oh my gosh that was probably a hard job (laughs) Uh, assistant principal and then classroom teacher uh, and as an athletic coach supporting student athletes so I want to thank you uh, guys for joining the show and then also so we have uh, Tamisha Sales, who's a committed nonprofit and community partnership leader with nearly two decades of experience serving the community. Uh, Sales has documented success in building sustained community partnerships and increasing nonprofit funding that drives innovative change and lasting community impact. Both of you, welcome to the show. Thank you. I know you guys are super busy with all of the, you know, crazy stuff that's going on. I know that, uh, you know, people and teachers and community leaders are all kind of scratching their heads right now going, what is the next four or five months looking like? You know, how do we make sure that our communities, our children, our families are safe, but still can, you know, make strides in moving forward in their lives and education and all of those things. And so... Um, I want to give each of you the opportunity to, you know, first of all, just tell us a little bit about who you are and how did you find your frequency in life and in business and, you know, why you do what you do. Um, And if it's okay, I'd like to start with Dr. Collier, if you can, uh, you know, just give us a little background history on you and and why you guys are working in the educational and community strategies uh, sector. Okay, welcome. Thank you again for having us. Um, We started this business a little over a year ago. Um, as an educational leader for the past many years that I've had, 30 plus years, I found it was a passion of mine to work with with students and parents who were impoverished. I led a school where 100% of the students on free and reduced lunch, and thereby there was a lot of discrepancies in terms of student achievement in that environment, and we saw double-digit margins of deficits. And so I was working very diligently trying to close those achievement gaps among those student populations. So when that work kind of led me into what I'm doing now with education community strategies and beginning to look at closer how we can close these disparities that exist in education today. A lot of it is because of the the lack of resources that the students have, the parents, and and it it seems to be that money is the the initial driving factor that's, that's causing these disparities to exist. So that's why we're passionate about what we're doing in our work with education community strategies in terms of looking at closing uh, disparities. Awesome. Well said. Thank you. Tamisha, what about you? So um, thank you again for that warm welcome. I come from the nonprofit sector and I have worked, I entered in, you know, I've been in every position from a volunteer to, to senior leadership. But I came from a background of helping low-income and marginalized communities. And so from pregnant women all the way to the grave, we had services that wrap around. And what I found, how I found my frequency is that once you get into the work, 
you'll start noticing that some of the services were just putting band-aids on issues, not really addressing the, the wound. And, um, and I also saw differences in treatment, you know, how certain employees were treating certain clients. And I just noticed those type of disparities. And I always felt like we could do more. We have these funds, we can be more creative and more innovative. We just need to get input from the community, collaboration and partnerships. We can do more to really address disparities. And so Larry and I, because he came from the education sector, I'm in a nonprofit, our, our roles kind of intersected. And so that's how we met each other. And just through natural conversations, we started talking about the disparities and bias that we were seeing. And so we decided, you know, late, 2018 we we decided hey let's stop talking about it let's let's be about it let's be a part of the solution <laughs> and so that's how we launched educational community strategies and we've been flying ever since so that's yeah. awesome you know you said uh, uh don't talk about it be about it uh you know before we started i was telling you you know i have a six-year-old daughter uh, and this is something that i literally tell her every day uh, you know don't talk about it honey you got to be about it and then it's a uh, it's a common a common uh thread in our household you know yeah dad i'm gonna clean my room or i'm gonna do my homework or i'm gonna do this and i'm like no 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 don't tell me about it just go do it <laughs> so exactly. I, I love exactly. that i love that type of can-do attitude for sure um you know i think i think some of the the topics around the disparity in in some communities are uh in a lot of cases hard for some people to talk about um hard for people to kind of you know wrap their head around especially if you've come from an area where you don't necessarily recognize or know um some of the issues or uh things that are happening in those communities uh and so i want to i want to talk about that because that's something you know for me as a as a human being and i think about you know um you know taxes and funding for schools and education and those things through um communities across the country i had never understood you know why there's not an equal or level playing field for um you know those schools because it, it makes no sense that you know i live in phoenix so i'll give you an example that makes no sense that a school in scottsdale is going to get more funding than a school in south central phoenix right um and i i happen to live in south central phoenix and so i see this every day um and it really boggles my mind how any person who is sitting there creating uh, you know, budgets for a given school year can just be like, oh, yeah, well, these guys have a great football team, so we're going to give them more money. Well, what does that do for the rest of the community when it's important that everybody has an equal and level playing field? I mean, um, isn't it almost like a, a human right for us all to be able to, especially in a public school system, uh, to be able to walk through the door and get the same education no matter what school I go to? Absolutely. But what is happening in our country is that the funding of for most most districts across America is based on sales tax and property tax. Um, in, our, in our state, here in Alabama, is, is particularly uh, property tax. That's what funds our schools. So it's not really the sales tax to help put, put money into that pool. So it's not equitable at all. You know, it's just based on how you contribute to the foundation. And most states across the nation are set up that way. So that's why you had this disparity in funding for schools. So if your school district is in, a, in an area where they're more the homes are more expensive, they're going to have more money to fund schools and vice versa. It's just the opposite. If you're in a very poor area where there's low property tax, then that's the kind of funding you're going to receive. So that's part of the disparities is those structures that in place that perpetuates these disparities in funding. Yeah, no, and I think that's the way Arizona is too. And so when I when I made the comment earlier about you know Scottsdale versus a school in South Central, um, Scottsdale is a very affluent, like you know, a medium home over there is you know seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars or you know whatever. Whereas in where where I live in South Central Phoenix, the medium home is like one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars. And so when you when you when you lay it out the way that you're talking, Doctor Collier, on you know those being based off of property taxes, you can clearly see there's there's a problem there but how do, how do you go about fixing a system that nobody's trying to fix i mean it's, it's been set this way for so long one thing that happened in our state about 20 years ago there was one school district filed a lawsuit against the state of alabama for this funding issue they call it an equity funding that you know the state were not actually giving money based on need and so they actually won and so what happened from that yeah 
all the all the more weather this district had to basically send back 10 mils of property value back to the state to help fund the very poor areas but it wasn't enough it was just 10 mils of property value so that's the problem they could have selected they could have said 20 mils of property value but that number was put at 10 so in order to contribute to this foundation all those districts who could not afford that then for example i was in a district where we had to send back 10 mils of property value to the state which created about 1.6 million dollars to help fund the more poor districts throughout the state so that's one way to begin to help close disparity but it wasn't enough statewide to cover the problems that are that, are, that truly exist and i'm sure other states are having the same problem yeah and, and tamisha how do um you know how do nonprofit organizations and uh other entities whether they be private businesses or whatever the case may be how do they come in and 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 help in a scenario where you have an underfunded school you know are there are there things that you know outside private companies can do to kind of inject capital into the space to level the playing field what are what are some of those solutions from a nonprofit side Sure, one of the roles of a nonprofit in the community is to support the local schools. And we do that by um, partnering with the school, identifying needs of students and families, and we um, develop and implement programs inside schools that support student needs. So it's almost like a needs assessment. We go in there and assess the situation because we have access to funding that sometimes school districts do not. And so we are responsible for partnering and implementing programs inside schools with their permission. It's all in partnership and collaboration. And we have access to private donors, um, corporate donors, and we can get these dollars to support schools because better schools equate, equate better communities. So we develop programs that just enrich students and support families. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm taking a look at some news online and you have some pretty large entities like usnews.com, um, you know, ed.gov who are who are highlighting some of these things that are happening and you would think that you know, if you're holding up a big red sign that says, "Hey, there's a problem," that more people would take action. Um, how do we get the community members more involved in and, and trying to create change that really matters. I mean, I know, Dr. Collier, you said that, you know, there was some shift that happened uh, with the lawsuit, but it still wasn't enough money to fund those. So what are some ideas that you guys have brainstormed to kind of bridge the gap or even at a state level, go back and say, hey, um, let's take two steps back and, and review the educational funding process of a given state and say, you know, instead of looking at it as property taxes, county or, or, or whatever sectioned off that way and looking at it from a whole state and, and saying, okay, the whole state is generating X amount of taxes and we have 750 elementary schools. And so let's divvy that money out, you know, uh, the same to everyone. So one of the things that, you know, local districts can, can begin to do is continue to to partner with their local delegation, the elected official at the state level, and begin to advocate and try to lobby because the process, that's the way it works. You have to lobby for support for educational funding throughout the state. So each community can do that by, you know, actually starting an alliance with their local uh, delegation. And so it, that happens, but you know, you know how politics come into play in every state when it comes to that. This funding is driven by the lobbyists. And so that's the other problem that you have, that you have all these special interest groups going after this money as well. And so sometimes education gets put on the, on the back burner because you have private business that are lobbying for money as well. Tourism industry, they're lobbying for money. So K-12 and higher ed is kind of caught in the middle of that. So that's part of the problem that's happening throughout our most states in this country right now. Um, that's bothersome too. I mean, it it's it completely bothers me that that's the way that it is. Because what is more important than the youth of America having proper education? You know those 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 special interest groups. I don't care about you, um, especially as a father, right? I care about you know my kid being in the public school system and having the best possible education that we can give them, so that way we can set them up for success for their lives, not 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 have you know underfunded schools that don't allow them to be um in an environment where they can they can prosper and thrive as a as a as a small as a small child i mean it all starts at at kindergarten and preschool right 
And as a director of, former director of Title I funding, which is the funding available to districts to help try to close the achievement gap, that needs to continue to, to grow and expand as well from a federal level as they, you know, block that money back down to the states to help close these achievement gaps. And there have been some political interest groups who tried to basically redu reduce or eliminate Title I funding. And so you see the disparities still exist, but we still need that funding to help cover some of those expenses that happen in the educational arena. Tamisha, what's your take on that? Um, look, from the outside, working with schools, alongside schools, um, for me, sometimes a roadblock, a barrier to um, providing extra support to students is leadership. Um, it starts at the top. They got to be willing to invite outsiders inside the school. And also, teachers got to understand got to accept that, hey, they need wraparound support too for the students. And finally, um, politics come to play, money talks. Sometimes when we offer our services, parents may voice opposition, which drive school administrators to, you know, refuse services for students. They do not really want to acknowledge that, you know, so many students have needs because that affects their what type of families they're attracted to their district, what type of families they're enrolled in their schools. So sometimes it's appearance, like if we enroll too many students who have need extra assistance, that's gonna impact which families they attract to their district or to their school. So um, there are politics that come to play and if parents are um, have some power influence, they can persuade school leadership one way or another. So um, it starts with leadership, you know, just setting an example um, set an expectation that we're going to invite the community in. We're going to put everything we can into these students so they can meet their potential, exceed their potential. Um, and it's school culture, school culture. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. Leadership is is of paramount importance when you talk about being able to, you know, manage an educational system. And, you know, I, I really wish politics would just take us <laughs> take a sidecar and all of that so we could, you know, have a level playing field. But uh, we live in a, an environment, especially in the United States, where uh, politics is so polarizing. And, you know, you got politicians just sitting over here flapping at the gums and all they care about is getting reelected and they're not really solving any actual problems for anybody, uh, which has been driving me crazy for probably my whole life. Uh, so I definitely understand that, you know, kind of shifting gears a little bit. Um, you know, you talk about the, the COVID-19 epidemic and um, a lot of distance learning and things that are happening with schools. Um, I would imagine that some of those underfunded schools are also especially now probably having an issue and some some challenges in uh, shifting over to a, a a digital flow for a short time until the next school season starts um, because you know maybe they don't have the extra funding to spin up Google Classroom or you know some of those other digital components how are um, how are the uh, the under uh, uh, the 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 schools with less funding. How are they managing that particular thing with what's going on right now? Well, you're you're absolutely correct. It, it has been a problem. You know, prior to this pandemic, most of the schools, even the public schools, during the school day, they had the technology on the school. We had technology available for students to have access. But now that these students are now at home, that's a whole new ball game for us. And so a lot of those students do not have access to that, those devices, and they don't have Wi-Fi access. So school districts are now trying to repurpose their resources into the community, into the homes, to try to help these kids have access to online learning. Because, you know, we didn't have this, never experienced anything like this before. Yeah. So most districts probably never had a contingency plan in place to address this. I retired, what, four or five months before this pandemic kicked in. And I know my last district, we didn't have any contingency plans for, for a pandemic in place. So I'm sure many other districts around the nation were in the same boat. So now they're trying to stop and pause and try to reflect on what's the best way we can educate our kids. But even when we put technology into the home, the other problem that lies is where will parents be at home to help these kids? Because we know now COVID-19 has put a spotlight on those parents who are in poverty, they are the frontline workers. So they having to go to work. So these kids are left behind at home to try to, you know, do their own learning, which sometimes could be an impossibility when they already had 
30, 40 points gaps in achieving, particularly in math and reading. So it's a challenge. Yeah. I want to take just a couple of moments out of the show to thank Harry's for sponsoring this radio program. And man, Harry's is such a great product, a great shaving product for men. As you guys know, I'm bald. I have no hair. I rock a goatee. I'm telling you, these are the best razors on the market. They have the greatest gel. Their their stuff is just awesome. I know times are tough right now, but Harry's is still here to help you look your best while saving you a little cash along the way. Even if your business on top and PJ's on the bottom, Harry has your grooming needs covered with high quality blades as low as $2 each delivered straight to your doorstep. Again, I'm a bald guy. You can trust what a bald guy says about razors. It keeps my face nice and clean so I can keep nice lines on my goatee. It also helps me keep my head nicely shaved as well so I can stay looking my best. You can get a trial delivered to your doorstop by going to harrys.com forward slash frequency. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price, just $2 a blade. They've cut out the middlemen manufacturing blades in their own German factory that's been honing precision blades for a century. That means you get incredibly high-quality blades at factory direct prices. Trust me, I've been using this product now for a couple of months. It is amazing. Super convenient. The blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription. If you don't want to subscribe, just go buy new blades and have them sent on over. In this very challenging time, feel a little bit better about your purchase. 1% of the proceeds are set aside to nonprofit organizations devoting to helping provide access to better health care for men and veterans. You know, finding your frequency, we support the veterans. So you can help support the veterans by using the Harry's product. Also, to help support those who need it most right now, Harry's is donating a million dollars worth of shaving supplies to hospitals across the United States. Who can't get behind that? I know I can. Listeners of the show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com forward slash frequency. Again, that's harrys.com forward slash frequency. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip. Those things are wonderful. It's great. A five blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade. The rich lathering shave gel. This stuff is amazing. It's got aloe in it. It'll keep your skin nice and hydrated. I use it on my head and my face. It is amazing. You also get a travel blade cover to keep your razors dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com forward slash frequency and start shaving better today that's harrys.com forward slash frequency yeah i know that our our district where my daughter goes to school experienced that exact thing um there were several families that you know even though the district had google classroom and and those things that were available there were a lot of kids in the in the district itself that you know didn't have a laptop or didn't have a tablet or you know whatever the case may be so they had no way to access that and i think our district did a pretty good job they you know had they had like you were saying they have the technology at the school um and so they were they were running a program saying hey if you don't have technology at home or or whatever you can come to the school and and you know take one of the little computers that you guys use for class and borrow it and you know take that home so that learning can can continue so that was kind of cool to see how my particular district addressed that that exact problem but it doesn't address the problem of the home that doesn't have internet connectivity um you know you can you can you know say hey i'll loan you a laptop or a tablet but if the household doesn't have wi-fi then you know you can't even get connected to the internet for that Uh, so that's got to be a big challenge too absolutely and that's why at that point school dish would be wise to reach out the community resources to help support that cause to make that happen because schools can't educate we work. it's going to take a village to make this happen and so yeah. we really need all your resources focus on this particularly during this COVID-19 pandemic let's yeah. put a spotlight on that need so yeah, and you said you said it takes a village which I really love because I think there's you know something in America that's been lost the sense of community where you know neighbors are helping other neighbors out and you know um, especially with COVID-19 even at my own house right I I walk outside in the front yard and I see my neighbor and I go hi to him and they're like oh god I'm gonna go back in the house and you know everybody's not really communicating or or being a community you know they're like oh I gotta stay away from everybody I'm gonna go inside and and then 
you're not you're not uh, you're not being communal with your neighbors. And um, I think that that's another problem too. Is you know how do you how do you get the community involved in a manner where um, the 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 population of a given community is working towards a common goal and knowing that you know I have my community's back, my community has my back. Um, that's something that's tough to do in the middle of a COVID-19 shelter in place type of order. And, you know, how do you, how do you organize meetings in that spaces to disseminate information when, uh, when, when, when you have people who are just scared? Yeah, this whole pandemic is just causing um, every single cross section of the population to reevaluate everything. So we're gotta, we're, we're going to have to be innovative because, so school went to an online format, a virtual format. How do we still provide the support inside that house for that student? How do we provide that after school tutoring? How do we provide the nutritious meal? How do we provide, how do we just get them to log on and submit assignments and do their homework? So this is, this pandemic has created a space for innovation. Um, I think what, what an initial step will be is just to gain input, just anyone share ideas, just create a, a an avenue where people can share their input, just open it up to the public. Um, I think that's one step where districts, because there's someone sitting in their house or sitting outside on a park bench thinking, I have this idea, <laughs> but nowhere to share it. So just open it up. And then another way in this pandemic, in this social distancing is that we can use the technology to set up meetings to, just like we're doing now, talking through Zoom. Mm-hmm. We can set up that way to get information out and partner with part, you know, community resources. So we don't have to just shut down just because we can't be within six feet of each other. We still can stay connected virtually. So yeah, we, have, we still have that capability. Yeah, and I don't see any reason why um, you know, local and state jurisdictions couldn't come up with some type of a plan to say, hey, uh, in the midst of all of this, we're going to make sure that, you know, all the households in certain areas or communities have, you know, a minimum something of Internet connectivity to their home, you know, using some funding from I'll give you an example. If, if there's no children at the school and the, the, the teachers are working from home and you have, you know, no electricity being used at the school and you have less overhead that's happening at the school couldn't you reallocate some of the resources for the bills that are being generated for schools that aren't active to put that into the community to provide Wi-Fi for some of the kids that don't have it? And some school districts are doing that. They're actually putting it on school buses so they have access and they actually park the, the bus in the neighborhoods or in the apartment complex or what have you. It's, you know, so people can have access to the Wi-Fi that way. So, That's yes, they are repurposing some of their resources to try to help. So at this point, Everything is on the table. I got an email from the district the other day, and they were talking about the, uh, you know, the school lunch program. Uh, they said that, uh, like you were talking about with the Wi-Fi, they're going to be sending school buses around to the neighborhoods with the the lunches for uh, those kids that were on free or reduced lunches, and allow them to come to the bus stop wherever they would normally get picked up to be taken to school, uh, and come there and get some, uh, you know, breakfast, lunch, or whatever the whatever the kids need, which I thought was really cool. And so I was leaving this morning to go to work and sure enough I saw the bus pull up at 7.30 and the kids were all on the line and people were getting their breakfast and I was I was really proud that our community had come together and, and provided a solution in that manner because um, I know so many people in my community um, that don't have the same access as I do you know um, I work in the media industry I have I have to have internet my company pays for me to have internet at my home and not everybody has that and um, I even told a few of my neighbors i'm like i have a wi-fi extender that reaches to your house if you need my login i'm going to give it to you so, you know like as a sense of community of just saying like what can i do to help you know seeing that you know that you know you may not have the same things that i do but i'm willing to share um and and i think that's some of the mentality that's needed uh, especially in this particular scenario Absolutely. i agree we all can ask what can i do yeah everyone has something to offer so i agree yeah, and I just think people have to not be scared to talk about these things. I think some of the, you know, some folks on on both sides of you know whether you're affluent or non-affluent on depending on what, what's going on. I think the conversation is difficult for some people to even just, you know, say, "Hey, I need help." Um, and I, how do you how do you empower somebody to, 
you know, to step outside of their comfort zone and say, hey, you know what, I don't have Wi-Fi at my house. What's the solution for that? Or not be afraid to talk to your neighbor about that. Yeah, one of the hardest things to do is to ask for help. I just come from the nonprofit sector. We see so many families that are eligible for services, but they will not ask for help. And then on the flip side, so many people are afraid to offer help because they do not want to offend anyone. I don't want to, I don't want to come across as offensive. Um, if yep. if you need someone who, if you see someone who needs help, you're you're afraid to provide your help to them. You know, we just got to create a safe space. Yes, we just we live in a nation where we've had disparities for over 400 years, and so it's just it's been very difficult to try to close these gaps and remove these barriers because we have so many policies and structures and laws in place that perpetuate these these disparities today. And so until we begin to remove those, it's going to be very difficult for us to begin to really make a difference. So it, it starts at the top with leadership at our, at our country level with our president and Congress level and all the way down to our local officials. So it's it's, again, it's a whole village working to make this happen. And you One can't, person cannot do it. And you can't have change without actual change, <laughs> right? I mean, exactly. you, you've got to make some strides to change some of the things that are happening in order to get to, you know, to get to the other side. You know, it's like uh, a coach of mine always used to tell me when I was in high school, Ryan, everything you want in life is on the other side of hard. You know, and so you think about that and internalize it and you go, you know what, you're absolutely right. And um, once you can understand that, you know, all life is going to do for your entire life is throw curveballs at you. And how do you, you know, deal with that? Uh, do you swing with a left-handed bat or a right-handed bat to hit a homer? Um, but at any one given time, you have to have the ability to open up and have conversations in an open forum and not be afraid uh of of those things because I, I i think that's really one of the biggest challenges with you know getting uh bending the ear of leadership in states or even at a a federal level is getting them to take time to actually understand what is happening and not thinking you know that oh what does that do for you know my congressional district or my this or my that and stop having the the i me my mentality and and looking at more of a community-based outreach and some programming to to actually listen i think that's a lot of the problem is we 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 identify a problem right but who's actually going to listen to what we or you guys or us have to say about the problem so we can actually enact change that's what i feel is probably the biggest hurdle i mean the ideas and the solutions are there but how do you get someone to actually take action like get off your butt let's do something (laughs) that's so critical is is the response to the problem and that's what we're seeing we're we're slow in responding to our problems. And that's why these problems continue to grow and worsen over time because of our response to the problem. Yeah, there's a little, there's a saying that manage your change or the change will manage you. Mm, I like it. Are you having trouble finding hand sanitizer? Well, Spa Treat has you covered. There's no need to go searching high and low. Just visit spatreatofficial.com and place your order on their easy to use website. On schedule delivery, One of the great things about this product, Spa Treat Fulfillment Team is working around the clock to provide people hand sanitizer during this time of need and get your order to you as quickly as possible, even faster than Amazon. Spa Treat also has the lowest price of any of its competitors. Spa Treat has 62% alcohol content and the FDA recommends between 60 to 80 for maximum protection. This one has 62 because it doesn't dry your hands out. I use this stuff every single day. It is fantastic. It's got certified organic extracts with the ingredients in that hand sanitizer that are of the highest quality and they're designed to leave your hands smelling and feeling fresh while protecting you at the same time. The best part, there's no tricky residue left over. None. None of that sticky stuff. Four scents available, unscented, tea tree, lavender, and lemon. And best of all, this product right here is made in the good old United States of America. A lot of companies are having trouble dealing with the current demands, so Spa Treat has dedicated themselves to providing a much-needed product in the time of crisis. Spa Treat has better prices, faster shipping, and a larger supply than any of their competition. There isn't even a close second. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and enter promo code SPA SPA at checkout to 
will receive 5% off your entire order. That's right. Not only are they offering the lowest price available, but they're also offering our listeners a discount. This promo code is exclusive to Voice America, and only our listeners get this discount. Spotry and Voice America came together on this sponsorship in order to provide Americans something they could really need right now. Peace of mind. Visit SpaTreatOfficial.com and order yours today. That's SpaTreatOfficial.com and make sure you use the promo code SPA at checkout to receive 5% off your entire order. SpaTreatOfficial.com. Get your awesome hand sanitizer. You guys are a, you guys are a dynamic duo over here. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you guys are you guys are, are rock stars in the community. I really love it. Um, so, what's next for 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 the organization? Uh, what does what does August twenty twenty look like for uh, kids going back to school and actually physically being uh, at school? Number one, and then what's next for your organization as you guys look into you know later late twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one? Well, in Alabama, the state superintendent has made an announcement that our kids can begin to come back to school effective June eighth. They can start phasing students back into the school setting for different activities, for summer activities, athletic activities, band and course. So they're trying to phase it in. They have some guidelines. They got guidelines supposed to be in effect as of June 18th, I believe. They're going to have some specific guidelines. But some of the things they're talking about now is a classroom size of a ratio of 1 to 12. And that's going to be very difficult for a lot of districts when they don't have space, when they're already limited in space. So that means they have to basically double the classroom space in order to meet that, that criteria for the social distancing. So that's going to be a challenge. Um, and then, again, with... The moving around in the schools, you know, most schools there's a lot of movement, particularly middle and high school. Mm-hmm. How are you going to prevent kids from connecting? You know, in the teaching profession, we look at collaborative learning, collaborative teaching, small group instruction as the way to facilitate learning. What is that going to look like? So it's going to change the dynamics of students collaborating and talking together in a classroom setting without having that space involved. So it's going to be a difficult challenge. All the sports programs all the extracurricular, which we know is important for kids to be successful in school. All those programs are gonna be impacted as a result of this pandemic and how we do things going in the future is gonna change. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna share something funny. I'm as I'm sitting here, I literally just got a text message from somebody at my state level that says, hey Ryan, uh, you can come to these locations to uh, provide signatures on petitions uh, for <laughs> for invest in education Arizona's for second chances that you can go get on the ballot. Uh, so I, just, I just thought it was pretty uncanny. Here we are having a conversation about that, and I literally get a text message saying, "Hey, here's the location you can come to. It's COVID safe, and you can sign petitions to get some things on the ballot." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what it's going to take. Yeah, using technology, at least. And, and I like the way they address this, right? They, they The first thing they says is COVID safe petition signing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Can't so, be afraid to call it out. No, nah, you know, I, I think, too, you can't be afraid to go outside. You know, it's funny. I, I maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something, but I'm driving to work and I'm seeing people wearing masks while they're by themselves in their own car. Does that make sense? <laughs> well, I guess they, they're trying to get a pair of where they're going to. So they can be ready to I know my. I usually take mine off and then put it on when I get out of the car. I'm not trying to drive around with it on. <laughs> I guess because they've been told you to touch it so much, you know, you're gonna contaminate it. <laughs> uh, I guess that could be too. Uh, you know, and, and Lysol spray is hard to find, which is yeah. a, which. That's another challenge for schools when they go back to school. Like, where are you gonna get? Uh, you know, let's let's put personal protection equipment off to the side, like masks and you know whatever that is. But how are schools going to acquire enough Clorox and Lysol wipes, uh, right, to be able to keep a school environment sanitary and safe? Like, you know, I have a six-year-old; she touches everything. The first thing that happens when she gets dropped off at school is she runs to her, you know, six little friends, and they're all hugging and high-fiving and like. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. I don't want to. I don't want to tell my child. I'm going to drop you off at school. 
I want you to stay six feet away from every other kid. Don't, don't, don't shake hands. Don't hug. I mean, like that's detrimental to the psychological profile of a small child growing up, especially when one of the key components outside of learning in school is um, learning social skills. Um, Especially for my kid, I have a a huge gap between my children. I have a 22-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter, right? So it's not like they're at home together and they're able to cohabitate and learn social skills, you know, brother-sister style. Um, You know, my daughter learns those social skills with, you know, the extracurricular activities that happen after school, um, with the the, uh, other things that happen during school. And if you're taking recess and art and music and all of those other movement components out of the school, school and you're going to sit there and focus on, you know, uh, math and, and English language and writing and all of those things. Like you're, you're totally lacking some of the components of education, which are extremely important. Physical ed is one of them. That's extremely important for kids that got to get out and, and get, those energies. I don't care if you're a kindergartner or you're in 12th grade and you're going to graduate. I think that applies for, you know, all of those, those kids. And, you know, these are some challenges too, that I think about. And I'm just like, you know, in my brain, I, uh, I'm, I, I'm glad I'm not an educator because these are really tough challenges that, you know, the community is looking at folks like you and community leaders in education to kind of help us solve because I'm not an expert. I just know what I think is best for my kid, you know? Right. And so one of the things the schools were always, we always talked about how we can, what we can influence is what happens during the school day more so than what happened outside of school. And so now schools are losing that kind of influence because, you know, these kids are now having to be educated at home, which put us in a different dynamic. So that's why we're now having to think differently and more creative about how we're gonna deliver services to our students. Mm-hmm. And the whole child concept, teaching the whole child is, is huge. That social emotional component cannot be compromised. No. And this is this is what's gonna happen right now if leadership don't put the right ideas and strategies and, and uh, people in place to make this happen. Students are gonna impact gonna be impacted by this negatively. And so mental illness could spike up as a result of this particular issue. So we gotta be looking at the whole child when we talk about delivering services to students, and particularly in the K-12 setting. Yeah. Well, and you bring up a good point. I mean, the, the, the emotional component of the child and their mental health is extremely important. And, you know, I, what was I reading the other day? Like domestic violence was up like 40% or something like that due to, you know, everybody being, uh, you know, so close to the family unit for an extended amount of time. And, you know, if you have, a 40% increase in domestic violence. You have a household that doesn't have Wi-Fi, and the kid can't have any kind of escape from, you know, whatever's happening at home. It really makes a a, a strong case for what you're saying, Dr. Collier, with mental illness becoming more prolific as we move forward and if we don't address those things properly. Absolutely. So Tamisha, how do how do how do other people get involved in in you know, an example, how do uh, corporations with extra dollars to donate and, and companies that are uh, affluent and how do, how do they get involved in, in being able to help to uh, to help bridge that gap? Um, is there is there donations that can be given? Is there, um, you know, things that they can do like grants to certain districts or, or something like that to help? Because I know that, you know, like Intel is here in, in Phoenix and Intel's profitable by something of the neighborhood of like a billion or $2 billion on a yearly basis as their profit. Um, so there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to write off a few million bucks to be able to help some people out, right? Yes, I think each organization has a social responsibility, a social responsibility. So I think it's dependent upon um, how this organization or corporation connects with the community. You can also engage employees to seek out opportunities for involvement. Allow your employees to go out, have ideas, and bring them back to the workplace and how you can get get involved. Um, Just reach out directly. If you reach out to a school and say, I have so this much money, um, are there any needs that we can help you address? I mean, for it, it doesn't hurt, and it doesn't take much time just to pick up the phone or shoot an email saying, how can we help? Yeah, and doesn't it, isn't it in a company like Intel or other large companies, isn't it in their best interest for the future of their workforce 
to be able to go and help those kids who ultimately in 10 years from now will be viable candidates for jobs at these uh, these companies you would you would think that you would say hey you know what if I can go help uh, a K through 12 educational system in my local community now when these kids come out of there um, I know that I've been able to give them some assistance so that way they can come out with a proper education and be candidates to be uh, employees at my company I mean isn't that not in their best interest it's absolutely in the best interest of a company, any company, to invest in education because that is your future workforce. Mm-hmm. And also, um, employees in the job force, they're now interviewing companies. They, they're looking at how, how do you give back to your community. That's how they attract the top talent. So I'm looking for a job. I'm going to Google Voice America and see what they're doing out in the community and if I want to be a part of it. If their mission aligns with my personal mission, their values and my values, that's how you attract and retain top talent. So it's absolutely in the best interest for any organization to invest in education, invest in the community. Absolutely. In most school districts, they do partner with their local chamber to partner with the workforce development to try to bridge the gap with corporate leaders in their area to try to help educate some of our students so they can be ready and be prepared to go into their workplace upon finishing high school or some career tech type program because we know now that a large percentage of the jobs are not going to require a four-year degree they're going to be more career technical type positions and so as school leaders we recognize that and so we're trying to make sure that we meet those students needs that are going to be on that pathway for success yeah, and I think that's an interesting point, too, because I think for so long, our society has been so focused on, you know, you're going to go to school and then you're going to go to a four year college. You're going to go get a degree and you're going to go, you know, write code for Google or something like that versus, you know, let's take a couple of step back. Um, you can't have a Google campus existing without people like, um, you know, engineers and plumbers and electricians and, you know, a lot well, of the, a lot of the trades that are happening. And I think there's I think there's been a loss of some of those trade skills over the last 20 years because of the idea of, oh, we got to go to college, you got to go to college. And I'm thinking to myself, I have a friend of mine who's an electrician and the dude makes like $150,000 a year as an electrician and makes more money than a lot of the other people that I know that work at, you know, some of these high-end uh, Honeywell or Intel or whatever, the large companies that are here in Arizona. Um, and I and I, I think there's a lot of onus that gets missed in that space when uh, parents and, and leadership are guiding children on career paths and some things that they can do. I think some of that stuff gets left out and it's very, very important. There, we literally have a shortage of people who know how to weld. Exactly. I think schools are seeing a trend too, just speaking from my experience. Um, I know here locally, schools are turning into academies. So, so this is school is focused on STEM. This school is focused on the fine arts So, um, or medical or technology. So they're trying to address that issue in education, but it's still slow because we all have the mindset of four-year degree, go to college, yes. Yeah, and you know what's funny for me? I've been uh, here at Voice America for 16 years and I manage hiring for our audio engineers. And, you know, I, I say this every single day to my people, I will hire somebody with the proper experience over somebody with an education all day long. So somebody who's been in the trenches, who has learned by way of trial and error, um, to me is more valuable than somebody who has not experienced any of that real life uh, component and is just coming out of the four-year school and saying, hey, I'm ready to start my career. Um, a lot of people, if you have four years of experience in something, um, you know that's a little bit more valuable to me as, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a business operator, for sure. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we help organizations with is that employer bias. So you recognize the difference between experience and education. For so many um, individuals, when they receive a resume, they're looking at which college you went to, which university, that name, brand, school, and hiring, which just further perpetuates, you know. Missing out. Um, yeah. Yes, missing out on top talent. It does miss out on really good talent. I mean, I've, I've had interviews that come through here that, you know, this person's got a master's degree in electrical engineering and, you know, whatever, and sound design and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, you ask them simple questions like, 
Uh, how do you deal with a customer who's upset that they don't know how to use the technology and they don't know the answer to that because they've never been in that scenario, right? But somebody who has edu- who has experience is going to go, oh, well, this is what I did before and this is how we managed it. And, and you know, that that is, is, is an intangible bit of, uh, of talent that's important that I think a lot of uh, companies are missing out on. Right. And in our world in education, we call those soft skills that we have to teach our kids those type skills and how you get along with your coworkers, <laughs> how you communicate, how you got to project, make that projection so you can be successful. So these are soft skills that are not really taught in those, you know, in the curriculum in terms of yeah. if you're in an engineering type program or if you're in a medical program, they don't teach you how to how to talk to the, the person that you're going to be serving. And and that yeah. that goes back to making sure that schools K through twelve have a proper, uh, you know, a proper uh, stuff in place that allows for a person to foster an environment where they could become uh, better at social skills, right? I mean, those those things don't... That's why we know small group instruction works where kids can learn learn together and collaborate in small groups and feed off each other, which helps them to be better citizens and also be able to get along with each other. Yeah, if you got 30 kids in a classroom and one teacher, that's a problem. Absolutely. I know we dealt. I dealt with that with my daughter in first grade this year. You know, the the teacher had twenty nine students and one teacher. You know, and and wow. I'm going. I'm, many should be. I know. I, I told the teacher. I'm like. I'm like. I'm like. I'm like. You are a saint. Number one, <laughs> you know, for managing all these all these little six and seven year olds in first grade and being able to do it in, in a manner. And, you know, I even I, vol- I volunteer at the school uh, when school was going on. So I actually got to go to the classroom on certain days and, you know, hang out in the back and see the teacher work and see how she engages with the students. And um, she absolutely did the best that she could with the circumstances that she had. And, you know, I, I, I applaud her for that. But I can also see, you know, if there were, you know, 50% more teachers where you could reduce those classroom sizes, there would definitely be a lot a lot better learning that's happening. And, you know, I just want to, first of all, also thank the both of you for all of the work that you do in the community and, you know, bringing these uh, issues to light and, and, you know, flashing a neon sign, so to speak, and saying, hey, uh, these are the problems. These are some solutions. Let's come to the table and figure it out. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, big thank you to Tamisha and Dr. Collier for being on Finding a Frequency today. Uh, one thing I want the listeners to do is if you're listening to this on iTunes or Spotify or whatever your favorite podcast application is, make sure to rate us five stars, not four. We deserve five stars. I think I think we all deserve five stars. We're, we're don't you, Doctor Collier? Five stars better than four. <laughs> Ten stars. <laughs> I love it. Thank you guys for being on the show. Uh, and again, we'll be delivering you guys brand new episodes weekly right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. You can tune in to Finding a Frequency every Friday at noon Pacific time, three p.m. Eastern. I want to thank our guests for being on the show today, and make sure you guys come back and listen to some more great content right here on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. <laughs>